back to Seattle's Morning News. I'm Travis Mayfield in for Dave Ross. It looked like a deal between Republicans and Democrats on border security and aid for Ukraine was nearing the finish line. But now it seems like things are very much in doubt. CBS chief foreign affairs correspondent and moderator of Face the Nation, Margaret Brennan, is here this morning. So, Margaret, what happened here? Why is this deal suddenly in danger of collapsing? Well, Donald Trump is the presumed Republican nominee and has come out saying things that suggest he opposes any deal right now with Democrats in regard to dealing with the U.S. border. Now, this is rhetorically contradictory, given that it is, according to Republicans, a national crisis and an emergency situation. So that would argue for acting. But um, uh, Donald Trump wants to run his presidential campaign on this issue. And in a closed door meeting with his caucus, the minority leader in the Senate acknowledged the political difficulties here. Mitch McConnell uh, talking about that, that this has changed the calculus. Now, that doesn't mean the talks are off. Uh, we have the chief Republican negotiator, Senator James Lankford, with us on Sunday. The text of the deal is being hammered out now and is expected to be released in the coming days. So the fact that uh, Donald Trump doesn't know what's in the deal. The fact that the House Republican leader doesn't know what's in the deal um, doesn't seem to be uh, focused on here. Uh, James Lankford is going to talk to us about what he has actually negotiated um, because he's basically arguing, give us time to to make public what, what is possible. I also want to turn to some breaking news this morning. The International Court of Justice just ordering Israel to do more to prevent mm-hmm. the killing and the harm of Palestinian civilians in Gaza. But this was um, not everything that South Africa was asking for here. They wanted a full ceasefire. What does this mean for the war in Gaza? Well, it's certainly a, a statement that Israel strongly opposes. Their prime minister came out uh, shooting down the validity of this court, has claimed it's all prejudiced against his country, but uh, it is a statement that underscores the the international divide here in terms of how that war is viewed. Um, The Biden administration has made clear they believe it's a just war in that Israel has the right to defend itself, but that they don't like how Israel is actually executing that war, given that we are now talking about, according to Palestinian health ministries, more than 25,000 Palestinians dead. Uh, And that doesn't separate fighters from civilians, but the Israeli military says they've killed about 9,000 fighters. So you do that math and that tells you um, just how high the death toll is, by the way, here and mainly among women and children. And that is why here in Washington, there is new pressure from Senate Democrats in particular. One of them, uh, Tim Kaine, is going to be my guest Sunday to put restrictions on the aid that the U.S. is considering giving to Israel that would demand that they abide by international law as any country would be required to do when they receive and use U.S. weapons. And staying on domestic politics, I want to turn to the presidential race as well. Any sign in Washington, D.C. this morning that Nikki Haley may be considering dropping out of the Republican primary? I mean, if you listen to her public statements, it sounds like she is charging forward and heading on to her home state. That is exactly what she plans to be doing and has made clear that just in the past 48 hours, she's had success fundraising, she says, um, since Donald Trump has come out with statements saying anyone who donates to her campaign will be labeled anti-MAGA and never allowed back in. She, she says it's actually helping her. But 
we will see how this plays out. I mean, when we look at our CBS polling in a head-to-head race, Nikki Haley has the best chance of defeating Joe Biden. She has an eight-point lead ahead of Joe Biden in a theoretical head-to-head race. However, the Republican Party seems to be lining up behind somebody else, Donald Trump, who only has a lead of about two to three points over Donald Trump, according to our CBS polling. So he has this sway over the party, despite the fact that Nikki Haley appears to be a more formidable candidate to potentially defeat uh, Biden. And and that's where we are with this infighting within the Republican Party. But it seems like the uh, establishment is indeed lining up behind Mr. Trump. So that question of how long can any other candidate stay in and does the party need a backup plan given the 91 felony count indictments against Donald Trump will persist. It may take us through the summer. We will see how long those donors can hold in there and help to support financially her campaign. And on the Biden side of the campaign, a pretty significant endorsement this week as well from the United Auto Workers. And in fact, it sounds like Sean Fain, the president, is going to be one of your guests this weekend. Where are you going to be asking him? He will indeed. And by the way, this took a long time for the UAW to endorse Don, to endorse Joe Biden. And that was um, scrutinized heavily. Why did they hold off, given the amount of support that Joe Biden lent to the auto workers during their strike. Remember, he went out to the picket lines in Michigan. Uh, Remember, he has helped to usher in billions of dollars in federal subsidies to help that transition from combustion engines to electric vehicles, which is basically throwing a lifeline to auto workers in Michigan. Um, Why did they hold off? We want to talk about that with Sean Fain because it gets to this question of, is the Democratic Party still able to appeal to the working class or is it truly up for grabs? As Donald Trump has argued, next week, Donald Trump will be meeting with members of another union, the Teamsters, to seek their endorsement. Uh, and that just shows that there are some changing politics. This is no longer just a monolith. The party dynamics are shifting tremendously. And we want to talk to Fain about what his supporters um, are, are seeing the problems they have with Joe Biden and why they ultimately did fall in line and endorse him. At a very micro level, this could potentially be a very meaningful thing in Michigan, which we know yes. could be the state that maybe decides this presidential election. Is this the kind of thing that could push the president's campaign in the right direction in, in that state? Well, it certainly helps. Um, and and you're exactly right. Michigan is such a key swing state. And Joe Biden won it in 2020. Donald Trump won it in 2016. So <clears throat> there's a sense that it is up for grabs. Their, their governor, Gretchen Whitmer, told me Sunday as much that it is a state that is up for grabs. And so getting the endorsement from the union certainly helps. Is it enough of a counterweight to the concerns from voters in regard specifically to the military support the U.S. is giving to Israel as it carries out this war in Gaza. Uh, Even the UAW strikers uh, said that they, workers, I should say, said they wanted to see a ceasefire in Gaza. Um, That is a local issue in Michigan, given how large the Muslim population and the Arab American population is out there. Will people not necessarily vote for a Republican, but just not show up to vote for Joe Biden? That's a big question mark. And that lack of enthusiasm that we are seeing among uh, partisans is something that could really be a problem for both parties, but particularly Joe Biden, who needs to get that turnout in those key swing states. CBS chief foreign affairs correspondent and moderator of Face the Nation, Margaret Brennan. Margaret, thank you. Thank you. In the nation's northwest corner is Washington. 
an evergreen playground blessed by an unusual variety of natural attractions. Our the resident historian, Felix Spinell, joins us Friday mornings for All Over the Map, a quick look at the stories behind local places and things. And this week, if a friend asks you to meet them downtown in West Edge, would you know where to go? Okay. Now, here at All Over the Map, we obsess over official names for places and even more for the unofficial names that for some reason or another stick or don't stick. That's why we've talked about Cap Hill and Soto and Uptown and even SEA Airport before, whatever that is. Cap Hill. <laughs> so today we have our sights set on West Edge. I was on First Avenue at Madison a week or so ago waiting for a ferry passenger, and I noticed some signs for West Edge high up on lampposts on both sides of the street. Posted some pictures on social media and got a ton of responses. And one was from King County Executive Dow Constantine, who listed several obsolete local place names he still uses, like Lower Queen Anne for what many people call Uptown, and the counterbalance for the steep hill on Queen Anne Avenue. I reached Executive Constantine by phone and asked him what he remembered most about West Edge. You know, I heard about, along with everyone else who was in the paper, and I think they hung up signs uh, down on First Avenue. Uh, and, you know, it didn't, didn't necessarily seem any uh, stranger than any of the other nouveau names they've tried to hang on neighborhoods, but it doesn't seem to have ever caught on. Now, what I learned is that the naming of West Edge was announced at an event on September 8th, 2001. Gee, what else happened a few days after that? <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. Too soon, I realized. Yeah. It was led by the Downtown Seattle Association, or DSA, and full disclosure, I occasionally do paid work for those guys, those guys probably not anymore after this story. Um, now, D- DSA uses names for six downtown neighborhoods in the Metrop- Metropolitan Improvement District. That's where they levy taxes and do yeah. you know sort of activities. Got to get things. your money's worth. Yeah, yeah. So before 2001, DSA referred to the area we're talking about today as the First slash Second Avenues neighborhood. So you could see why they want <laughs> yeah. something catchy. Rolls yeah. off the tongue. Right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So the boundaries for West Edge are Cherry Street on the south. So picture this in, in yeah. the map of your mind. Lenora Street on the north, and this narrow strip between Western Avenue on the west and Second Avenue on the east. Rolls off the brain, right? Okay. <laughs> That's why radio is a visual medium. Pa- for painting pictures in your mind. Okay, so DSA worked with a firm called Tip Top Creative. Debbie Anderson, who's now re- Debbie Anderson is now retired. She was the owner and the operator. I got in touch with her. She did some digging with her former colleagues and shared a bunch of the history with me. She said they did focus groups. They came up with multiple concepts and ultimately chose West Edge for being in the west part of downtown for being edgy and hip. You know, Seattle Art Museum is in the West Edge, for instance. Um, some of the other names floated, these are my favorites, included The Blocks, I think I get it, you know, 26 square blocks in that area. Okay. The Steps, that's with two Ps and, and an E on the oh, end. Yeah. Not pronounced Steppies. Right. Because there's, you know, Harbor Steps yeah. are there and seven other public staircases. That one's pretty cool. And my personal favorite, and this one came in second place, Chinora. Can you guess what that's based on? Cherry, Lenora, Chinora. That's I'm going to start calling it Chinora. Sure, it sounds almost like Godzilla. Look out, look at Chinora. Ah, like a horror movie. All right. 22 years later, West Edge is still used by DSA as the name of one of their improvement district areas. It's also on the name of uh, multiple residential buildings and at least one garage. Now, Debbie Campbell, she loved working on this project. Um, she's philosophical about West Edge not exactly becoming a household name. She's clearly proud of the work and you know, glad to have been a part of it. I think we did a good job. I really think the name was appropriate for the neighborhood. I liked the logo. People responded to it. And it just, I think it died for lack of um, traction. Now, you know, I asked Dow Constantine, you know, as an elected official, isn't it part of his job to lead the way and embrace these new names for neighborhoods and communities in King County to kind of help help us all follow? No. <laughs> I refuse. I mean, some of them, some of them make perfect sense and that's fine. And things are going to change with the times and people are going to call things what they want to. 
but uh, I'm going to call them uh, what I think they ought to be called. And if people think I'm being uh, old fashioned, that's fine by me. Now, I think West Edge can still catch on personally, like it or hate it. I think it's just ahead of its time. You know, downtown neighborhoods, you need density for those neighborhoods yeah. to, really make, to mean something, right? Because there's only a few people in there. So back in 2000, 50,000 people lived downtown. The most recent DSA data puts that number at more than 106,000. Oh, wow. So it's a name whose yeah. name whose time may still yet come. So I, I, I think it might, maybe with this, maybe this is a, a marker in the sand yes. today. This radio piece, daylighting this history, sharing the story, West Edge you know, still has a chance to catch on. Uh, One last really quick thing here. Uh, One of the commenters reminded me of the magic carpet zone or magic carpet area where the bus was free back (gasps) in the 70s. Became the ride-free zone. It was called the magic carpet area when I was a kid. So maybe magic carpet area might come back. I like that too. I I like that like there was not really an official name. They gave it one. What I don't like is when they rename things like the Lower Queen Anne being uptown. Like it was already Lower Queen Anne. Why can't it just be Lower Queen Anne? I think it still is for a lot lot of people. people. Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. like don't rename something that already works. And SeaTac Airport, SEA, come on. No. No. I hear Nick Allard saying that. It's all those kids over at Cairo TV use that (laughs) name all the time. We all kind of roll our eyes when we hear it. Let's admit that. Let's acknowledge (laughs) that. Since there's no other edge, do we have to refer to it as what? I mean... Oh, the edge? The, yeah. Or maybe or stedge? We could, we could get it with a member of you, too. But. <laughs> or, or, yeah, or, or, just, or just W-E or we. Let's try, let's see you over on we. Let's go to the Simply we, the better. I How like about the way say you we? Think, oh, wait, wait. Say what? Well, well, say what? Yeah, That's another PR yeah. disaster. Gotta, it's, it's a radio Different focus story. group. Radio is a live focus group when you tune to Cairo News Radio. Welcome back to Seattle's Morning News. I'm Travis Mayfield in for Dave Ross. It is 6.48 on a Friday morning. Looking for some fun this weekend? Cairo News Radio's Paul Holden has got you covered. It's Friday then, it's Saturday, Sunday, what? It's Friday then, it's Friday, Sunday, what? Yes, that's right. Friday has come yet again, and there's a few things to do in Seattle and in the region. Soup is a harvest of news. How did you get so wet? All weekend long, it's the Soup-pocalypse in Fremont. We all know we're in the middle of soup season, and Fremont Mischief, a local distillery, sponsors this soup walk, highlighting 13 restaurants in the neighborhood. Participants need to make sure they get their soup passport, and once that's filled up with eight stamps, you can redeem it at Mischief for a complimentary tasting, shot glasses, and a goodie bag of local delights from participating locations while supplies last, of course. Tonight, you can embody Taylor Swift or one of the Kelsey brothers, in Ballard, it's the third annual Battle of the Beards at Skull Beer Hall. According to the form you need to fill out before participating, all beards and genders are allowed to enter, and beards are judged on three equally weighed criteria, grooming, originality, and presentation. It won't just be the quality of facial hair being judged, but personality too, as competitors will have to strut their stuff on the runway. There'll be food specials and things get started at eight tonight. More details can be found at SkullBallard.com. All the Swifties will be at Chop Suey on Capitol Hill tonight for Taylor Fest. It's described as a dance night for Swifties, by Swifties. Doors are at 8 and the dancing starts at 9. Pike Place Market is celebrating Washingtonians with local appreciation day. There will be live music and deals and more from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. tomorrow. If you do head to the market, make sure to show your Washington ID to get a local coupon book. Plus, those who spend $50 will get a limited edition mug. The winter weather and rain have certainly made it tough to find stuff to do with the kids, but if you got sports fans in your house, it's a busy weekend. The Seattle Kraken have two home games this weekend, taking on the St. Louis Blues and Columbus Blue Jackets. And speaking of Climate Pledge... 
The Harlem Globetrotters are in town Saturday, bringing their unique take on basketball full of high-flying dunks, impressive ball handling, and on-and-off-the-court hijinks. Tip-off is at 2 p.m. Some other things that might be good to do with the kids. It's the final weekend of the Winter Carnival up in Leavenworth. Don't miss your last chance to eat a fresh pretzel or brat while enjoying nearly half a million lights and ice demos. And finally, on Sunday, it's Family Day at the Seattle Nordic Museum in Ballard. Birds Connect Seattle will be there teaching families about common birds in our region and in Seattle. There's also a birdie craft you can make as well. Always something to do in Seattle, so don't miss out on all the fun. Paul Holden, Cairo News Radio. This is Seattle's Morning News. I'm Travis Mayfield in for Dave Ross. So look, when you buy a product and then it breaks, your ability to actually fix it yourself or pick out an independent repair shop and have them fix it, that's often limited. Sometimes it's just totally prevented by the manufacturer. This is a real problem, especially with high-tech products, you know, your smartphone or your computers, your laptop. Consumer advocates are now pushing the Federal Trade Commission to create a rule that guarantees your right to repair those products that you buy. Consumer man Herb Weisbaum, a contributing editor at Checkbook.org, is here to explain. Herb, this is a really big problem. Good morning. Good morning, Travis. Good to talk to you again. I, I apologize for sounding like a frog. I have a cold. It's all right. I have one, too. The kids brought it home from school, and here we are. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it's a, it's a really big problem. And the reason why manufacturers, the way manufacturers do it, they have a number of tricks to make this possible. In some cases, they limit the availability of spare parts and uh, instruction manuals or tools uh, so that uh, the independent repair shops or you can't fix these things yourself. Sometimes they limit the software, the diagnostic software or something like that that would be needed. Uh, they also design products from the get-go to make it difficult or impossible to repair. In some cases, they glue in things like batteries. They glue in the battery, making it difficult or impossible to take out. They may put extra screws in computers to make it very tough to deal with this. And uh, Apple is famous for using the pentalobe screw. That's a five-pointed screw that was designed so that no one but Apple or an Apple-authorized repair shop could open up the product and repair it. So, And they also, one other thing they do is they uh, tell people or suggest to people that if they fix a product themselves or put in a non-authorized part, that they will null and void the warranty. And that is against the law. Uh, the Magnuson-Moss uh, Warranty Act, thanks to Senator uh, Magnuson, who was from here in Washington State, a very good law says you can't do that. You can't make a, a warranty um, be linked to the the way somebody fixes the product. So obviously, Travis, if you, if you worked on it on yourself and you broke it, the manufacturer's not responsible, but they can't tell you. That's what cars dealers used to do way back when. If you don't use a yep. genuine authorized part, your warranty is no. Nah, that, that's, that's against the law. You can't do that kind of thing. Well, how do the manufacturers justify this? Because obviously, you and I sitting here talking about it, I, I'm like, well, it makes perfect sense. Like, I, I want to be able to do this. How, why do they say, oh, no, this is good for you as the consumer? Right. Well, they don't say it's to make more money, which is, of course, why they're doing yeah, it, yeah. to make more money. <laughs> what they say are things like, we want to make sure the customer has the perfect experience. And so we have to, you know, this is customer care. We have to take care of our products. Or they'll say they could hurt themselves because there might be sharp parts inside. Or, uh, you know, you're working around electricity. I've heard one excuse being cybersecurity risk. Not 100% sure about how 
putting a new glass on my Apple phone as a cybersecurity risk or whatever. And then they say it's too difficult, something the average person can't do. And I asked Elizabeth Chamberlain about that. Elizabeth was in my co- podcast that dropped yesterday, consumerpedia.org, about this topic. And I said to her, she's the uh, director of sustainability for iFixit. I don't know if you're aware of that. It's a company that sells open source repair manuals and parts and tools so DIYers can fix their product. And I asked her about that. Is it too difficult to fix your own product? Here's what she said. It's really not that complicated for the most part. We help thousands and thousands of people every day who've never fixed something before fix things themselves. And the most common response we get from customers who are doing that for the first time is, wow, it was way easier than I thought it would be. Manufacturers are trying to make it more difficult, absolutely, by you know using proprietary screws and gluing things in. But it really isn't that hard to do the vast majority of repairs on consumer electronics. And the idea that it's so complicated that the average Joe can't do it is something manufacturers want you to believe. So let's talk about the right right to repair petition here then, Herb, because it sounds like, you know, there's this petition, this move to get the Federal Trade Commission to try and let us do this. And, And if I remember correctly, there was some success in the farm equipment universe where they weren't allowed to repair their own equipment. And then lawmakers said, no, you should be able to do that. So is there a path to actually let us repair our own iPhones? Well, hopefully. Uh, two things. Some states have passed right-to-repair laws. Uh, big one, of the, probably the best one so far. There are three digital ones. Uh, there's one that dealt with farming. Uh, this has been done on the state level. So uh, what the consumer groups want to do is they want to do it on the federal level. They want to make this a right for everybody, not have to depend on where you live. And so what the FTC has been interested in this for a couple of years. They did a gigantic report. They looked into this. They indicated to companies they weren't going to look on this too kindly, but there's not a rule. So these consumer advocates want a rule that basically says that when a product breaks, you have the ability to fix it. The manufacturer should build products that are easy to repair and provide reasonably priced parts and service manuals. uh, And that if they did make a right to repair restriction to consumers, that would be an unfair business practice. They've launched a petition drive. The petition uh, has to be it's closing on February 2nd. That is next Friday. That's when it has to be signed. And if you want to go there and do it, it's ftc.repair.org is where you can go do that uh, to put your name on the dotted line and tell the FTC we want you to do something about this. The industry is totally opposed. They don't believe there's any need for regulations, but uh, the consumer advocates say, like, it's time that we stop throwing so much stuff out and we're able to fix the stuff we have. Yeah, which leads me to my next question, the the problem of e-waste. This is obviously making that much worse. Huge problem. That's another concern. Not only is it costly, but it's not good for the planet. I remember, Travis, when I was a kid, when the TV set broke, we didn't throw it away and get a new one. We took it to Mr. Newstein, and he and he fixed the TV for us. Yeah, or new tubes. Came to our house yeah. and fixed the TV. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, now, uh, Elizabeth, who spoke a few minutes ago, she went to the big consumer electronics show in Las Vegas uh, early this month. And she was looking specifically at earbud, uh, earbud kind of things, right? And she said, I looked at, she looked at almost everyone that was there. And she said, I talked to the product manufacturers and everyone said, when I asked them what happens when the battery runs out, they said, they, it can't, it's not made to replace. She, what I do, they said, you throw it out. 
right? What you can't replace the. I mean, yeah. imagine if they said you buying a four hundred dollar headset, and if the heads after so long, you're just gonna have to throw it out because you know we'd never put up with that. But this is the world. This has got to stop. There is too much waste, and this right to repair movement. One of the things it's designed to do is stop all this e waste. And you, in your checkbook story, talked to um, someone here from Washington, uh, Marianne Rogers, and tell us what she said in your story. Sure. Well, Marianne was actually somebody who already commented to the Federal Trade Commission, and those comments are public. So in my story for Checkbook, I pulled some of these comments, and I thought it was interesting what she said since she's from our state. She said, quote, companies get us into this problem by making things unfixable on purpose so they can sell us $900 appliances instead of $9 parts. They can damn well get us out of it. Please protect us from predatory companies who are fleecing Americans and filling landfills with their unfixable crap. End of quote, Marianne Rogers. And Marianne Rogers gets the award for the best comment of the morning. <laughs> <laughs> Agreed completely. And, and I mean, and you make this yeah. point as well, Herb. It's not just high tech stuff. I mean, like we had to replace our garbage disposal a couple of years ago, and that was a ridiculous process that should not have been a ridiculous process. My husband tried to do it himself and ultimately was able to. But like the, the, the roadblocks that were thrown, I was just like, um, why can't we just buy one and put it under the sink? I had a, a, a motor that's going in my furnace, and I, I asked the repair guy how much, and he said $1,500, $1,500. Where I said, really? Yeah. And he said, yeah, because the company won't sell the motor. They want to sell yep. a brand new a brain with it. It's like, I don't need a brand new brain. It's just the motors. And I checked, and that's right. That's what they're doing. It's like, see, that's just nonsense. That's just – and that's what's got to stop. And that's why I think you know the, the FTC is indicating it's moving in that direction, and I think there's a, a, probably a fairly good uh, hope that something like that will happen. Consumer man Herb Weisbaum, always good to talk to you. You can read his full story on the fight to repair, the right to repair at checkbook.org. Herb, I hope you feel better soon. Thank you, Travis. I'm going to take my frog back to the pond and see what can happen. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. Take care, Herb. Bye-bye. Today's commentary brought to you by Wafed Bank. Taylor Swift needs our help. In fact, she needs our protection, and she is not alone. All of us are in danger if lawmakers don't act quickly and decisively. So this week, social media has been flooded with disturbing, explicit images of Swift. But as the New York Times reports, tech experts are in near total agreement that those images are not real, that they didn't happen, and that they are deep fakes. That means someone used artificial intelligence to create these sexual images of the mega rock star and release them publicly without her permission. Did you get that? Non-consensual and sexual in the same act of violence against another human. That is getting pretty close to assault in my book. And yet, nothing is being done, at least nothing by authorities. The tech companies say they are trying to take the images down, yet that is a game of whack-a-mole. And lawmakers? I guess they're just too busy not voting on things in Congress or ranting on cable news about something else entirely. And that, that leaves us where in this country? At the hands of anyone on the internet to simply direct an artificial intelligence program to make up in incredibly realistic things, but completely fake things, images of anyone doing anything with no consequence. This week, Taylor Swift is the target, but remember, not that long ago, there was a group of high school girls targeted by a group of high school boys who did something very similar when it comes to this. 
Ask anyone paying even the remotest bit of attention to AI, and they will tell you this is only the beginning. This will happen again and again and again, not just to celebrities, but to your friends and family members, to your kids. Someone with an axe to grind or just a malicious prankster is only a few keystrokes away from doing it to you. It's not just sexual images either. Fake robocalls seemingly featuring President Joe Biden were used just a few weeks ago during the New Hampshire run up to the primary and they were tracked back to AI. Comedian George Carlin, you heard it in the newscast. He's dead, but AI just helped a podcast cook up a new routine using Carlin's voice. It seemed his estate is suing. And Swift herself was even shoved into an ad selling cookware by AI that she had nothing to do with. Right now, there are some states and some state lawmakers trying to pass laws to regulate AI and offer some protections, but AI abuse is a nationwide problem and needs a nationwide solution. Congressman Joe Morella, a New York Democrat, introduced a bill last year that would make sharing explicit deep fakes online a federal crime. If you retweet it, you post it, you are facing criminal charges. It didn't become law. Senator Mark Warner, Virginia Democrat, called the entire thing a deplorable situation. And yet, where's the action? Look, Taylor Swift, she feels like she's above it all, but she does need our help today. We need to pressure lawmakers to take action here. And if we help her now, maybe we can help someone you love from facing this kind of assault tomorrow. Just walking into the studio from the G and Ursula show, which you can hear nine to noon right here on Cairo News Radio. G Scott, so G, what's up, brother? Seahawks fans, maybe we're feeling like the kid who's picked last at recess these right, days, right? Because like, we, I mean, we still don't know who's going to be coaching next season, but it feels right. like every other team out there has mm-hmm. picked somebody. Right? Where 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 do we stand in all of this? It's like prom, Travis. It's like prom. Everybody keeps asking you, yeah. have you picked a date yeah. yet? Have you picked a date yet? And you're like, mm, I'm chilling. I'm good. You know what I mean? I'm good. Well, everybody else is picking. Well, let them do them. Right? Let them do sure. them. Yes. Look. You had a different prom experience than me. But I appreciate the analogy. Okay. All right. So here we are present day. Yesterday, two coaches were hired. Yeah. First of them was Dave Canales, who that name should sound familiar. He was one of the assistant coaches for 13 years here with the Seattle Seahawks. Loved that dude. He was a quarterback's coach here before he left. He had was very instrumental and in, of course, what uh, Geno Smith did. And then uh, this past season, he went over. He was offensive coordinator for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And then they had Baker Mayfield. And so he was kind of instrumental in that transformation of Baker Mayfield, they go to the playoffs. Now he is the head coach of the Carolina Panthers. The other head coach they got hired was Raheem Morris. The Atlanta Falcons hired him. There was a lot of people that thought that Bill Belichick, former New England Patriots coach, would get that job. Nope. Raheem Morris got that job. Now there's two spots left, Travis. There's the Washington Commanders and the Seattle Seahawks. So here we are. There's been candidates The top three candidates, according to the NFL experts, are Mike McDonald, defensive coordinator for the uh, Baltimore Ravens, Mm -hmm. who are still playing this weekend. Right. Offensive coordinator uh, Ben Johnson for the Detroit Lions, who are still Mm -hmm. playing this weekend. And then the X, I mean, you know, like Dan Quinn. 
Yeah, yeah. Former right. defensive coordinator. Yes, yeah. So those three are the safe ones. Now, let me give you the one that I haven't introduced to the parents. Let me give you the one. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, please. Let me, let me, let me give you the one that I haven't told my friends about. Let me give you the one that nobody's talking about. The prom date from the other school. You're like, oh, look at this. Look who I'm bringing to prom. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, let's hear it. Ejiro Evro, defensive coordinator for the Carolina Panthers. He was a first-year defensive coordinator for them this past season. Previous to that, he was defensive coordinator for the Denver Broncos. When the Denver Broncos head coach last season was fired, he was offered the interim head coach. He turned it down. Nope. He continued out being a defensive coordinator. I'm telling you, the guy's 43 years old. He's from Colchester, England. I'm telling you right now, he is the the, the new kid at the other school that nobody knows about. This is the dark horse, and I believe that I, I think that what if he gets a job here at Seattle? What if he could be the next head coach? And so one of the things I've learned about the Seattle Seahawks is this. Never. They've never picked or done anything that you expected yeah. them yeah, to do. That's right. You yeah. can't think of a draft pick. You can't think yeah. of anything where you're like, oh, I bet the Seahawks or the experts leaked, and they said, y'all don't know nothing. Every secret is lock and key about whatever the Seattle Seahawks do. So there's my dark horse. Look him up. Ejiro, E-J-I-R-O. Do me a favor. Look him up. Listen to his interviews. Listen to the man talk. I'm telling you, you're going to fall in love. It sounds like a reverse Ted Lasso situation to me is what it sounds like. Yeah. And I could be on that storyline for sure. Okay, I mean, I, you brought his name up, so I just have to ask. Mm. Is Belichick even a possibility? Mm-hmm. Be- Belichick is like that uncle that just needs to chill out for a year. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, we all, we all, stand down. We, we, yeah, sometimes you might have that uncle that you got to take the car keys away. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just for a year. You know what I mean? Hey, hey, Paul, I'll take you to bingo. Okay, not now. bingo, not prom. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I think Bill Belichick's gonna uh, take a year off yeah. of coaching, but because uh, I think he's got needs some. Uh, he's going to be simmer down now yeah. is what needs to happen. Okay. <laughs> G Scott, thank you Sorry very much. Sorry about all the analogies. I'm I feeling good this I morning. Y'all. That's what I we bring you in here for, G. Seattle's Morning News. I'm Travis Mayfield in for Dave Ross. The Washington State Legislative Session is in the heat of it right now. And Cairo News Radio's Matt Markovich is keeping his eye on everything happening in the state capitol. Joining us now, Matt, which bills are you tracking this morning? Well, good Friday morning there, Travis. Yes, we're in the heat of it. It's uh, day 19 of the 60-day session. We're going to talk about referee abuse and drunk driving today. Now, the House has uh, raised a bill that would give penalties for attacking sports referees and school staff. Now, this is in response to growing concerns over attacking and intimidating referees. Now, several House Republicans are backing the bill to increase the penalties to a felony. House Bill 2079 would elevate the penalty for anyone who interferes, quote, by force or violence from a gross misdemeanor to a Class C felony. 
felony. The penalties would be raised from five, a $500 fine and six months in jail to or both, or it would be raised up to a $1,000 fine or up to a year in jail or both. Now, it's not just referees, but educators, students, staff involved in school-related activities where a person is intimidating or interferes by force or violence is affected in this bill. Now, Representative Suzanne Schmidt, a Republican from Spokane Valley, testified during a public hearing before the House Committee, Community Safety, Justice and Reentry Committee on Thursday. There is no place in sports programs or schools for intimidation, verbal or physical assault or threatening our sports officials. So for public school students found guilty of interference by force or violence, the students can be expelled. Now, if the interference takes place during a extracurricular activity, like a football game, the student may face exclusion from that football game or be on that team or any kind of activity like that for up to 12 months. The former wrestling referee Bob West has been asking for stricter penalties for 25 years. I was a referee in 1996 in Colville, Washington that was headbutted by a high school wrestler and knocked unconscious. I quit breathing. I was unconscious for about five minutes and have undergone four neck surgeries as a result of that assault. Now the student in that incident ended up serving one day of detention, a month in jail, and a year of probation, West said. Now, parents face the same penalties, too. They could be excluded from entering the school where the offense occurred and from uh, attending any extracurricular activities associated with the offense that they were participated in and have that banned for up to 12 months. Wade Harris is a referee for wrestling and soccer from Vancouver. Uh, In my opinion, the state is a little late on acting on this in a much more serious way, concerning at least in the last decade the amount of violence that has been perpetrated against officials at all ages. And he talked a lot about the shortage of referees, and it's a wide—it's a nationwide issue because of these threats of violence and and just older people uh, and not finding younger ones to do it, getting in, getting into the system. We're talking about they need to get fourteen and fifty year olds, fifteen year olds into the system. My biggest concern: there are no officials that are younger. The average age of an official is my age at fifty-five across the country, and that can't happen anymore. When we have parents that are verbally assaulting or physically assaulting a fourteen or fifteen-year-old, now David Treeweiler represented the Washington Association of Criminal Defense Lawyers and opposed the bill. It's already a felony if you injure someone seriously. That's assault in the second degree. Uh, if you have no prior offenses, the minimum sentence is three to nine months. And then if you have any priors, it goes up steeply from there. We don't need to pass another law, which we continue to do every session, to create a new crime when we already have crimes on the books uh, to address these situations. And Representative Dan Griffey, he's a Republican, uh, suggested a signage campaign to let the public know of the consequences of referee violence and intimidation. We have signs all over the schools that say, if you have a gun, this is the penalty and all that sort of thing. I I believe that if we started uh, advertising to the parents and those that participate, that there would be a deterrent effect if uh, they uh, injure a referee or interfere with the game. So will it pass the committee? and maybe make it to the House floor. Well, here's the chairman, Roger Goodman. Uh, We're going to fiddle with the bill a little bit, but I I can't guarantee, but we might very well bring this up for executive session next week. So there you go. He's going to fiddle with the bill. And uh, and that's a code word for, I'm not sure. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) When mom says, we'll see.
Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right, Travis. And so the one other thing I wanted to talk about is the attempt again to lower the blood alcohol limit for drunk driving to 0.05. The Democrats in the House and Senate are trying to do it again. State lawmakers are trying to drop it from 0.08 to 0.05. Utah is the only state that has a 0.05 limit. Now, the two bills, House Bill 2196 and the Senate Bill 5002, are proposing this limit and would also maintain, uh, mandate a public education campaign to inform citizens of a new change in order to modify the behavior. Now, Here's the rub here, Travis, is that they tried this again. They tried this last year, both the House and the Senate, especially the Senate. And the versions are basically the same. Um, and the House, the Senate version never passed out of committee. So what is this? Basically a reintroduction of the same stuff. So what's the difference? Well, Shelley Baldwin, the director of the Washington Traffic, Traffic uh, Commission, offered one difference during a hearing on the House version yesterday. When we pass this bill, hopefully, the Washington Traffic Safety Commission will undertake a very large educational campaign, mostly with federal dollars, which is also great. And that's the key word there, federal dollars. Somebody else is going to pay for that campaign, which... But it still prompted a Democratic representative, Daria Faravar, to ask why not use that Fed money to have a drunk driving campaign now. It seems like the really important part of this is the education campaign to get out there and talk to folks. So I guess I'm just a little bit confused about why we need to lower to 0.05 if this is mostly about education and changing attitudes. Now, Trent House spoke on behalf of the Washington Hospitality Association. Now, he echoed arguments against the bill that were, again, made last year because bars and restaurants uh, are liable if a patron is too drunk to drive and gets in a crash. At .05, there is no discernible way to test for impairment. There is at .08, there is not a .05. For us, then, to be held liable at a standard that we cannot objectively test for raises concerns. Now, James McMahon, he represents the sheriffs and police chiefs, and they support the .05 standard, but they had a different take on this. It doesn't really seem like we mean it, especially, frankly, when every year we enact more legislation to make alcohol more available at virtually every place that people can drive. And why brought that up is because there is now a bill in the front of the house, Travis, where they're going to allow for breweries and wineries to have mobile tap rooms and wine bars where you can go out and serve the liquor, uh, not just behind the, the counter there at their uh, at their breweries, but do it out in the open. And that's what he was talking about. Mm, yeah, that makes sense. So quickly here in the last few seconds, what's your gut? Is this going to ha- is, is it going to be a repeat of last year or do you think this actually has a chance to get to a floor vote in both the House and the Senate? I think what it is is that people are going to say, hey, I tried to lower the point oh five. Uh, we made attempts and that makes the uh, legislators look good. Yeah, but they won't. They won't get a hearing. It won't. It won't get to the floor. The leadership won't bring it to the floor, and it'll die again. So I think that's what's going to happen. That's just my analysis, but we'll see. All right, Matt Markovich reporting for uh, what's going on in Olympia in the legislative session. Matt, thanks for your time. Welcome, Travis. It is Mickey time here on Seattle's Morning News. Good morning, Mickey. Good morning. Oh, it's so good to see you. And I told my wife last night, I get to work with one of my favorite oh, people. The feeling is very mutual. Sully. That's nice. I'm here. <laughs> no, I'm just yeah, thank you. 
There you go. No, oh. I'm just kidding. We are talking about rents, though, because oh. you were walking in the studio this morning with this Harvard Joint Center for Housing study, mm-hmm. and it's like, wow. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to be honest. Like, I haven't rented in a very long time, so mm-hmm. I'm totally out of the. What? Get, bring us up to speed. Okay, what is well, rent? here's the. So with the rent, and I knew that when we were going to move here, rent was going to be high. Yeah. I mean, the hospital paid for our relocation. We lived in a place for a while. We didn't. We were like, hey, how much is this place that we're living? We're like, whoa. Yeah. $6,000 a month. Get me out of here. So we went looking. We found a place in Capitol Hill for $4,000. We were like, with these prices, we've got to buy a home. Yeah. Because rent is through the roof. In this report, half of all tenants say that 30% of their income on rent and utilities is like it's 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 a percentage that has risen from 2019 to 2022 and that they are at a point where they are having to decide do I pay my credit card bill do yeah. I buy do I put gas in my car do or, or do I pay rent do I pay do I pay my utilities like it's affecting mostly middle income Americans it's wild to think about this because I know that we passed rental protections here we in did. this city for example but David you you and I are homeowners uh, Mickey and so yeah. like you know rent is like kind of in our rearview mirror hopefully yes but David you're mm-hmm. in the midst of it I am I, I've been a renter for 10 years now and uh, it it started off being a you know uh, a probably twenty percent of of my income, and that's when I was just working in restaurants, just sort of you know making ends meet. And it was still I had enough to save, enough to yeah. you know pay off now? certain bills. Now it's both my wife and I have full time jobs, you know forty hours if not more every week. Uh, we get paid well above minimum wage, both of us, and. Every single month it is, okay, what are we not paying for in terms of this credit card bill or in terms of how much can we put off this thing that we were saving for so that we can just pay rent and our utilities? Because we moved into this into this uh, place in uh, North Seattle, which supposedly was the sort of cheapest, best option for us when we moved back down here. Uh, we were living in Bellingham and then Woodenville for a little bit. And we, when we chose this place, it was because it was by far and away the most affordable. Um, the the space looked to be, you know, decent, livable. And since we moved in about seven months ago, uh, the price that we were originally paying has gone up in increments, not just the rent, but the pet rent that we pay, the uh, parking Wait a that minute. we pay. Wait a minute. So even though you're locked into a, a year lease. Yeah. They have continued to increase the prices. Yes. How do? They, how can they do that? I know. That just seems like there's a loophole here that the city yeah. council, state lawmakers need to close. Because I thought the same thing. Like they have capped rent increases, but then you were like, "Oh, but parking now increases, yeah. and pet in- fee increases, and this increases, and now it's wow. like a forty percent increase." Yeah. Where- the 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 fees used to be with with rent and all the fees. I'll just say it used to be about twenty one hundred mm. every month, and now it is up to twenty four hundred every month. And I look through you know each of the categories that they break it down to and i don't understand how how it keeps on increasing and it's not just we're using more water using Mm, more electricity mm -hmm. and whatnot it's the you know pet rent goes up the the parking goes up and that must be little loopholes that they're they're finding in that and i there yeah Yeah, and and so obviously uh, as soon as our lease is up we're we're leaving but i it's it is a constant issue, a constant thing that's on our mind is how 
are we going to do the things that we want to do, save for the things that we want to do and continue to uh, live uh, in a place that's livable and near where we work. And so I I legitimately had to pick up a second job, which I now have a have a second job well, just to pay for this. What we're hearing is that landlords who cut rent during the pandemic are boosting mm-hmm. prices mm-hmm. because their taxes are going up as well. So they have what they're saying are even bigger costs that they're trying not to pass down to renters. Um, We also looked and found that from 2001 to 2022, rent climbed 21%. And business analysts say that California, New York, and Washington have the highest rents in the country. And I have lived in all three places. And I can tell you that I have never paid more for rent until I moved to Washington. I lived in New York City. I've lived in San Francisco. And when I moved to Washington, I went, I cannot believe how high rent is here. And it has only changed in the last 20 years. I will say that because when I moved back to this city 20 years ago, um, and, and I'm, I, I said this to you off the air, David, but I'm going to say I paid $850 mm-hmm. a month plus $100 for a parking space. And I lived on North Capitol Hill mm-hmm. in like a fantastic one bedroom right off Volunteer Park. Like fabulous. When I lived in New York, <laughs> I paid $1,400 a month and that went with that came with parking. Yeah. It's wild how this has just changed for so many folks in our area. David, I'm sorry. Yeah, seriously. It's a struggle out there. David, thank you very much. Mickey, thank you Mm -hmm. as well.